We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. Welcome back to the show. This week, I have an incredible guest who fits in perfectly here on the Coachable Podcast, where we face our fears, defy mediocrity, and find out what we're truly capable of. And Mike Needler is no different. As president and CEO of one of the world's largest real estate franchises, Mike and his team of over 147,000 sales professionals are dedicated to transforming the home buying process from just a transaction to an extraordinary experience for their clients. And there's no better time than now to share this conversation with you guys, because if you're looking to buy or sell your home, you know that the market is crazy right now. In this conversation, we discuss where his passion for helping others comes from, what makes a team really successful and the greatest lessons he's learned throughout his career. I apologize that the audio on this recording is a little scratchy, but I promise that this is an episode you do not want to miss. Don't forget to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review if you're loving this podcast and share this episode with someone you love or someone who's in the market for a new home. And if you send me a screenshot of your review to media at ToriGordon.com, you will receive free access to my newest free training, The Secrets to Success. Without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. Awesome. Mike, it's so good to have you on Coachable Podcast. This is a real honor and I just appreciate you for, for taking the time to be here and speak to the audience. So thank you for, for making time and uh, for being on the show today. Absolutely, Tori. Looking forward to our conversation and uh, looking forward to some of the audience feedback. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've had such enormous success as the CEO of Century 21. I mean, you lead over 145,000 different independent salespeople. That to me is, first of all, mind boggling. As somebody who comes from a sales background, um, that is just wild. And your track record with Century 21, I mean, you're a 21 year veteran, is that right? 22 now, 22, 22 I'm getting old. years with the same company. 
there are probably so many people listening to this show that can't even wrap their mind around being with anything that long. (laughs) Um, so to, to say that you've been with the same company for that long is, is truly, you know, um, remarkable. I, I know as millennials, we like to, to jump around and try a lot of different things. So it's, it's great to get your perspective on the longevity of success and how you've been able to, to get to where you are. And that's kind of where I want us to start this conversation and just understanding for you as somebody who's had enormous success. Um, you know, what is it that you think that you attribute that to and, and just tell us a little about your story in terms of how you've risen in the ranks and got yeah, to Yeah, no, I, I appreciate those couple things there. So first and foremost, thank you for that uh, that rousing introduction and, and uh, admiring the success. I got to tell you, I think, you know, success comes when you don't feel like you've achieved success, right? And so um, I think uh, I am ultimately probably a pretty loyal guy, um, but I think loyalty comes when you believe in something. And, and you know, Century 21 is now a 50-year-old brand. We're 50 years old. We were born by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs, uh, you know, back in the early 70s um, by two amazing guys who had this dream of weaving up these mom and pop uh, real estate brokers not just uh, here in the U.S., but around the world. And um, it's it's really been quite interesting. I, I joke around to people, Tori. I, I kind of tell folks, like, I got started in the mailroom. I mean, I, uh, I graduated college and didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with that degree and, um, you know, started at the ground level at Century 21. And I think really uh, had the opportunity to, like you said, do so many different things within one organization. And so, you know, I kind of joke to people that I've been chief cook and bottle washer. Uh, I've been extremely inquisitive and energetic along the way, learning from a lot of different people and leaders and, uh, you know, real estate professionals in every nook and cranny around the globe. Um, But uh, again, I think that comes with really just, you know, surrounding yourself with good people, uh, asking a lot of questions along the way. And, you know, I always say there's no substitute for just good old fashioned hard work showing up every single day and uh, at the starting line and and, and putting in the miles to get to where you want to be. So um, it's been certainly a journey, but um, one that I'm super passionate about because in real estate, you know, people don't know this, but I mean, we literally are drivers of not just, you know, delivering the dream of home ownership, but uh, you know, the, the, um, uh, economic kind of well-being and GDP in our local marketplaces and our communities. It's, it's what real estate people stand for. And that's why I, I ultimately love what I do. And I think that plays a lot into having success and longevity is that, is that, that love of, of kind of what game you're in. Yeah, no, I, I really think that's important. And I want you to kind of take us back to where do you think your, your hard work, your grit, that, you know, that willingness to put in the hours comes from, because there are a lot of people that might listen to this show and feel like I've got, you know, I've got the, the want to, I've got the motivation. I would love to be in a position like yours, but where did you learn to work hard? Like who was an example for you in terms of, of commitment to what you want? 
it's a really simple answer. It's, it's, it's my parents, mainly my father. My father was, you know, a, uh, a blue collar, um, you know, grew up in a, uh, in a very low income family. He was a blue collar gentleman. I grew up in what I would consider a blue collar town here in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, my dad put me to work literally when I was young. I mean, I delivered papers when I was in sixth grade. I, you know, I don't want to sound like the sob story about walk, you know, I walked five blocks to deliver papers and learn to have my own little business and, you know, track how much people paid me and tipped me and, you know, got up mornings and, and went out there and just did the work. I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, mowing lawns and actually with my father, uh, his side hustle was roofing and contracting. He was also a firefighter, uh, here in Essex County, but, um, you know, every single summer that I wasn't playing sports or in school studying, like, that's what I did. I did, you know, blue collar work and, uh, got my hands dirty and sweated out on the roof all day long. And, you know, I, I said to myself, look, I, I don't care what I wind up doing. And as, as somebody who was going into college, I was, you know, the first college graduate in my immediate family. Um, you know, it wasn't that I knew exactly where I was headed. I just knew I wanted to, you know, better myself and better my family that I wanted to, you know, raise and, and, and give them things that I didn't have. And the only way to that was to work really, really hard. And I was lucky enough to find a, a, a job in an organization that I actually, actually, you know, fell in love with. And I think that makes putting in those hard hours um, a lot easier, again, when you truly have passion for, for the line of work that you're in. Yeah. You know, before I started Coachable, I was in outside sales and actually the first company I worked for, we sold mail copy and shipping services to massive corporations and, and law firms all over the world. And, and so I saw the mailroom and the people that, that we would um, employ in those rooms, they kind of saw it all. And we had so many stories similar to yours of people who start there and kind of rise over time. And I think that's absolutely so important to your role now and being able to kind of understand, not have to put yourself in the shoes of, of the employees, but you've lived them, you've walked them. And I think that's, probably something that is reflective in your leadership style, but I'm curious what and how as a CEO, but also just as a, as a father, as a husband, how do you define success and what is it that ultimately drives you to succeed? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I, I think, you know, for so many people, it's so many different things, what success uh, it equals, right? I mean, you know, in another part of my career, when I was much younger, success was, you know, making more money. Um, right now, success for me is being able to provide for my family. I, I have four daughters, and I just want to be able to give them more than I had when I was growing up and, and set them out towards whatever goals that they have uh, as individuals in a better path and, and, and more educated and more enlightened and, and just give them, you know, a better opportunity. And so, you know, for me, it's my family. And I think for everybody, um, success is a little bit different, but it's driven by what your inspiration is, right? I, I say this all the time, like, um, you know, it, it could be um, for our, our sales professionals and as somebody who's in the sales arena, right? I mean, we're all in sales in some degree, some form or fashion in everything we do. Um, but, but when you're in the sales arena, like, you know, it, it's not necessarily, you know, hitting the quota or making more money or getting to your number. It's really got to be about what inspires you. Is it, is it, you know, putting the kids, 
through college? Is it buying your first investment property? Is it taking the dream vacation? Is it giving more money back in your community, retiring early? I don't care what it is. Like success really is driven by that emotional connection that we as human beings are trying to accomplish. And so, you know, to me, ultimately, you got to look back at what's inspiring you every day to truly draw the definition of what success is for us, because ultimately that will push you even harder towards the goal that you're trying to accomplish. And again, make those, make getting up and fighting that fight every single day worth it to you. Yeah. And I think you, you pointed out something that I just want to hit on again, which is really important, which is that your definition of success can change over time and it will change likely because similar to what you said about what inspires you can, I see it as, as what you value, right? What, what really do you value? Cause for me, my definition similar to you has changed over time and where I used to really been uh, value recognition and um, being the best and being number one um, that really drove me, especially in my sales career, there was a time where I reevaluated and I got a lot of those things and found that they weren't as, they didn't provide me the feeling that I wanted as much as uh, I thought it would. And I think that's something that I talk a lot about this on, on the show is we think that when I get to CEO, when I have my own practice, when I make the million dollars, then I'll be happy. And I'm curious for you, if you have ever had that experience of thinking that a certain amount of money or certain level of, of success was going to provide you something that ultimately you found in a different way. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I think the the most important thing for people to remember as you grow in your careers or in your life is to keep moving that goal line, right? I mean, you never want to be satisfied with what you ultimately have to to set big goals for yourself. And then once you accomplish them, I feel like most successful people, once they accomplish a goal, they're ready to set the next goal. And, you know, that could be a, a year long goal or a five year plan, whatever it might be. But I think we as individuals, we as human beings, um, like I said, whether it's in your career or in your personal life, you got to continue to set goals for yourself and, 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 and dream, right. Really dream about where you want to head and where you're going. And, and then, you know, put in, put in the activities that it's going to take to, to ultimately get there. And I think you're right. I mean, at different levels of your career, um, or in your career path, or as you're moving towards, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, um, you know, you, you've, you've got to set those goals. And once they're obtained and you obtain them over a certain, you know, consistent level, everybody's going to start shooting for that next thing. So, um, you know, it, it was funny folks joke around about Tom Brady, right? It's like, you know, what, when is he ever going to retire? It's like, what, when is, when is, you know, enough rings going to be enough for a guy like that? It, it might be never. Um, he's always looking for that next one. So it's, uh, you know, it's something I think as, again, just not as a professional, but as human beings, you know, there's always that next thing in life that I think we have to look forward to and really dream about in order to keep progressing ourselves. Yeah. I think as a human, we're conditioned to, to want to improve and continue to evolve. And, and that's certainly something that I've, I've seen in my own life that continues to, to motivate me. Um, you know, in your, in your line of work, um, 
not just in real estate, but, but specifically working with, with salespeople, but also creating an experience for the home buyer. I've heard you say your specialty in business is people. So I'm curious, what is it that you understand about the way people think or work or operate that's helped you in your career and helps you develop and manage people day to day to inspire them to continue taking the right actions that are going to help them to have the success that they might want to have? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's no better kind of example of it than kind of, you know, where we've been as a society in the last 12 months, right, Tori? I mean, to me, it's all about empathy. Um, And, you know, you've got to not just understand how other people are feeling, but you've got to be able to put yourself in their shoes for a day and really recognize what they're dealing with in order to get to their end goals, whether that's, you know, somebody uh, in my network of like you said, 147,000 sales professionals out there um, who I don't ultimately touch every single day or somebody on my corporate team, um, you know, you really got to recognize and understand what they're dealing with and, and what they're trying to achieve as individuals. And I think that will really give you a leg up in leading people and getting the desired result that you want. Like people who will, you know, go to bat for you and your leadership every single day. Um, but it, along with that, they have to, you know, they have to buy into the mission. They have to buy into the greater vision of the, of the company and really take that to heart as well. And so, you know, I I really think it's empathy. And, you know, when I talk about that, you know, there's, there's just so much going on in today's world with, you know, people working from home and trying to homeschool and balance life and work and everything that's happening out there right now. Um, I think there's, there's no better lesson that we've got in the last 12 months than to ha- how to be empathetic with our team and the people that we interface with every single day. It's just, I mean, to me, health and safety obviously are number one and, and that empathy for other people's situations and what they're dealing with is really, really important for leaders right now as we kind of move forward and continue to, you know, push ourselves outside of our comfort zones uh, in order to do and grow and, and all that other stuff. So I think empathy is probably, you know, the number one on the list on what you can do uh, in order to really make your team most effective and most efficient is really understanding them at the core and, and what's going on with their lives. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think to your point, the organizations that don't value and practice empathy will be exposed very quickly because people remember how they're treated during these times. And I, that's kind of the way, and I'm curious how you define this. How do you define company culture? Because personally for me, the way I describe it is how it feels to work for you, how it feels to work at a, at a company. Um, how important is culture to you and your organization and, and, how do you define that and how does that play a role in? Yeah, they, they say that culture each strategy for lunch, right? Isn't that the saying? And uh, I think it was Maya Angelou who said, you know, people don't remember what folks do or, or their actions. They remember how you made them feel. 
and I think that's that's ultimately so true, right? I mean, you know, uh, for us, our mission and our vision really in in, the, in our day-to-day work is to deliver an extraordinary experience in the real estate process. And I think that everything we do as an organization, as a company, whether it's the corporate staff or whether it's every one of our sales professionals who are individual, independent contractors and entrepreneurs out there, you know, we're driven by this mission of just making people feel good and and the customer service that we bring to them. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, that is the real estate business in a lot of respects. But I do think your point is well taken. I mean, you know, if you're working with people on your team, uh, you've got to be not only are, are you pushing them on the business front, but you really got to care about them as individuals and their success. And that comes back to, you know, what you said earlier, which is the inspiration part, right? Um, I I think it's Simon Sinek who says, there's two ways that you can influence people. You can either manipulate them and in sales, you know this, there's a lot of ways that we manipulate, manipulate behavior, right? On sales quotas and prizes and money and all these things, or you can inspire it. And, and the way you inspire is by really understanding what drives people at their core, what their goals are. And I think, you know, if you can do that and, and, and reflect it back to what people are trying to accomplish for their own personal well-being or, you know, their families, uh, I think you really will get the most out of your people if you can inspire them versus, you know, again, manipulating them towards a specific goal. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it makes people and you hit you said this word, feel like you care. And they it makes them feel seen and heard that when you bring them back to the thing that that they're inspired by or that they value, that it's not just an a means to an end, that they're not just part of the chain that that is here to create a certain type of result for for you at the top and that they're an integral part of that. And so I love to hear that. And I'm curious, um, you know, what do you think as a leader who has so many eyes looking to you at home for and also at, at work? Um in your opinion, what is it that makes a great leader? Um, and how can those listings start to be better leaders in their organizations or in their own lives and lead themselves? And as a follow-up to that, who are the leaders in your life that you really admire and aspire to be like? Yeah. So obviously inspiration is, 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 I think that that crux, it's the core, but I, th- I think what great leaders do is, is a couple things. I, I say this to the people that, you know, are on my team and, and leading others in the organization, but they, in my mind, they bring one focus, right? You, you can't expect everybody to um, do everything. I mean, what, what we have to do as leaders is really create a path and a process for our people to succeed. So, so you bring focus and, and wherever that focus, is for your organization, it has to be grounded in the activities, the things that people can do every single day in order to be successful in what that focus is. So maybe it's selling a whole lot of your product, right? Whatever it is, you've got to create those activities and that pathway so that your individuals, the people who are following you can be successful at their role and give them that repeatable process. So it's that focus on whatever the goal happens to be and the 
and the boiled down activities. Number two is I, I think you got to bring honesty, right? Everybody wants their leadership to be real honest. And, um, you know, in our organization, we have a saying that feedback is, is key. Um, it, it's actually a gift. And, you know, whether that feedback is, is, you know, people often get feedback, you know, kind of like uh, wrapped up with negativity. They feel like it's going to be something that's negative, but really it's just a way to give people an improvement, a, a way that they can do things better or take that feedback and pivot uh, what's happening. And so, you know, I think you got to be really honest, whether people are doing a great job or not so good a job, but then you also have to be willing to do the hard work, like I said earlier, and provide those activities and the focus so that they can act upon that feedback and that honesty. And then last but not least, I think you got to bring, you know, I think you got to, as a leader, you got to bring confidence and, and confidence again is, is, mired in showing people a repeatable process or activities that will allow them to succeed in whatever their roles are. So to me, you know, inspiration is key in understanding what's driving your people. But if you can keep them focused, if you can be really honest about how they're doing on a very regular basis, and if you can provide that confidence, I think you're going to have a leg up in trying to lead your people towards results that you guys are all looking to get as an organization or as a group or as a team. Yeah. Who are the role models in your life, you know, that you look to for mentorship or advice or coaching that, that you want to Yeah, there have been so many, Tori. I mean, you know, look, I, I, uh, I've had, you know, a coach myself, a professional coach that I've leaned on and, and had a relationship with, uh, who was part of our business for quite some time. Uh, you know, I mentioned my family, my parents, my father, certainly. Um, but, you know, there, there were, you know, high school football coaches along the way. There have been past, uh, you know, leaders and managers of mine who I've gotten a lot out of. I mean, I think, you know, whether it's a formal mentoring or non-formal mentoring, um, as somebody who's driven to succeed, you always got to be looking at people who, you know, you feel like are setting a great example and are having what you define as success and then start mirroring, you know, the way that they dress, the way that they act, the way that they empathize with people, the way that they interact. Um, you know, that's the way that you learn and evolve yourself by really, you know, kind of, you know, looking at other folks who set a great example and, and going after and attack on it. So I think there's a lot of different ways to do that, whether it's, you know, your current boss or past bosses or, or just people you feel really good about the way that, um, you know, they're progressing themselves in their career in your company or, you know, on the team that you're in. So. Yeah. I mean, I often say some of my greatest mentors, like I've never met, you know, they're, they're authors that I, I've read. They're yeah, other pastors, right. you know, they're other uh, organization leaders that, that I watch and I observe and I uh, pay attention to, but I don't, might not have a personal relationship with them, but I'm watching and I'm paying attention. Just like, I know many people listening to the show do the same with me. And I take uh, that responsibility, you know, seriously. Um, you know, for me too, I think when I think about leadership, it really comes down to being that example for your people whether that's for your kids or for the people in your organization and giving them somebody to look up to and watch. Um, because I'm not a parent, but I, I know this from, from 
I guess my own experience growing up as a child and, and the work that I do, oftentimes, you know, we we don't do as we're told, you know, we do as they do. We There's a quote by uh, a mentor of mine that says, you know, our kids will always fail at doing what they say or, or, or doing what we say, but they will always succeed at becoming who we are, basically. Yeah. And I thought that was so true. And um, so having that example is, is critical. And another thing that you touched on when it comes to providing feedback and, and focus and being clear with people is something Brene Brown says, which is clear as kind. And feedback, you know, is something that is oftentimes misconstrued as criticism, as like you said, something negative. And that's really kind of where I, I come in and help people people start to understand the narrative that they've created around a performance review, for instance, and how many people get anxious and uh, like uncertain during that. I used to run a performance management for a sales team um, that was in five different countries. And it was always around that time of year. It was stressful for, for leadership and stressful for people as well who were going through it. And, and no, it was just a time no one liked doing performance reviews. And I think it almost brings up like the child in us that feels like, oh, we're going to be slapped on the wrist or we're going to be told we're bad or we're going to be told that not to, you know, not to do this or not to do that, where like you said, it's really an opportunity for better, like self awareness, Mm -hmm. understanding how can I show up more fully and more powerfully and make a bigger impact in this role, because if it's aligned with my, my values and, and, and it's giving me inspiration, my goal is going to be, how can I make the biggest impact possible? How can I give my skills, my gifts away in, in the largest capacity? And so it's a, when we start to see it as, is not a, it's not, you know, a death sentence and not as a punishment, but feedback as, as helpful, supportive, um, self-awareness, then I think we have a whole different take on it. Absolutely. I think, you know, we could all as leaders do a better job in giving that feedback more regularly, right? Like it shouldn't be this point in time, you know, twice a year, or every quarter that you're getting this review, right? Um, and I, look, I can do a better job of it. I'm sure we all can, but the more regularly we're giving that feedback, again, could be positive as well and reinforcing something that you're seeing in your people, the better off we're all going to be. Cause you, you made a great point there. Like if, if I'm in alignment with this goal, then absolutely. I want to know how I can do better or if what I'm doing is great and to keep it up or, you know, do it times two. So uh, yeah. I think it's a great point. Yeah. And another thing that you, you mentioned is having a repetitive process um, that can be kind of just, repeated over and over. What is it for you personally um, that, what does that look like for you? Do you have any specific daily habits or routines that you engage in on a continual basis that you feel contribute to your overall productivity or a level of performance in your life? What does that look like? 
Absolutely. I, the, the word is absolutely. And for me, it is waking up every single morning and working out. And, and, you know, I say this to everybody all the time. I, you know, I, I call it the 121% rule and I'll, I'll talk about it maybe in a little bit, but uh, I, for me, literally I'm sitting right next to my Peloton here and right over there is my treadmill. Um, and, you know, it gives me an opportunity to clear my mind um, and get my heart racing and sweat it out a little bit so that I can start my day off in a really positive way and you know get into the mindset of just ready to rock and roll so it could be anything you know like it could be a walk around the house um you know if for some people maybe it's praying maybe it's meditating maybe it's gratitude but i think starting the day off every single day with some type of routine that gets your mind clear and gets you into a positive mental mindset is ultimately so important for us as individuals, as people, as professionals, whatever it is. And I say this to all four of my daughters, like guys, we got to wake up every single day thinking positively because the alternative isn't that happy. Right. So uh, for me, it's working out, getting the heart, the heart rate going, but um, for, for whatever it is for people, you got it. You got to stick to that and wake up with that positive mindset. Yeah, I agree. That's critical. And when I, I've talked to a lot of really successful people doing amazing work in the world in, in various capacities. And one thing that I, I hear consistently is uh, they all have some type of, of daily habit or routine that kind of grounds them and allows them to get into that mindset, like you said. So I think I think that's great. And yeah, it can look different for, for everybody, but it's it is, I think it's a interrupt it's a pattern interrupt if if we don't have any of that it's it starts the momentum for the day and gets everything kind of into alignment so that you can have the productivity that you're looking for and one of the things that that comes up a lot in my work and that I actually got a question for uh somebody wanted me to ask you this which is how do you or what are you what is your advice if you have it for anyone listening or anyone on your team that struggles with procrastination of saying, I'll do it tomorrow. Right. Because I think there is a difference between knowing what to do, knowing that having a habit or moving my body or getting a good sweat in is going to help me and doing it right. And making that actual, a part of your lifestyle. So the gap for me that I see with so many people is the difference between knowing and doing. And if we can bridge that gap and we can start to do a lot of times there's procrastination in between there. What do you say to people who are struggling with getting started and, and implementing? Yeah. I mean, execution is, uh, you know, where the rubber hits the road, right? I mean, they say, um, I think the saying is that, you know, uh, uh, big ideas and great ideas are marveled at, but execution and flawless execution is what makes gods. Right. And, and it's the truth. And so, you know, the, the bottom line is just start small, right. No matter what it is, start in really small increments, whether it's, you know, again, whether it's a workout or, you know, reading a new book or, uh, some type of, uh, education you're trying to give yourself start out in really really small increments and just you know whether that's five ten minutes or a half hour um dedicate the time to i mean i i think what what we lack a lot in this world is commitment and really commitment is like the number one step 
in accomplishing any goal. And commitment is really just doing what you said you were going to do. And I think over time, once you have that predictability in your commitment and you're actually out there and doing it, it starts forming into a discipline. And, 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 you know, when you're absolutely committed to something and you start doing it every single day at nauseam, it becomes habit. And, and, Ultimately, it, it will feed into your belief system so that it becomes a mission. And so I, I think it's just, you know, starting really, really small and, and building off of, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish for yourself, do it in a way that is, you know, not painful and that, you know, it could be bite-sized where you can make it happen, um, but just sticking to that commitment and doing it every single day. And maybe 10 minutes becomes 15 minutes next week, Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think so many people are waiting to, to wake up and feel like it, right? We're waiting to have the motivation because there's a, the, the night before like a Sunday where it's, we're talking on Monday and Sunday, we're like new me Monday, I'm going to implement, I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to wake up on time or I'm going to wake up earlier and I'm going to do what Mike said and I'm going to hit the ground running. And then your alarm hits and you're like, where's that motivation when I need it? Right. And it's, it's learning how to not let your feelings uh, dictate your action because I've learned personally, there are many days I'm not going to feel like it. And how do I show up? Because if we don't have a why behind why we do it, we won't, you know, we won't stay committed to your point because you're so right. I think it's something that we lack and many of us lack commitment in areas that we're not um, really aligned with. You know, we're trying to convince ourselves we want something that we don't really want as badly as we would we would like to you know, to believe and our commitment will show that. You said it to you said, you know, like it, it all drives back to what's my why? Like why, 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 why am I trying to work out this week? Why am I trying to, you know, read this book that's going to improve my whatever? Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta go back to what is your why and like really keep that front and center and clear to you. Right. I mean, I know people who do, you know, uh, success boards and vision boards and goal boards and like, it, it's, it's not like, strange to put it right on your, you know, mirror in your bathroom to say, Hey, like this, remember, this is what we're trying to go after. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And it, it makes, you know, getting up at five 30 or, you know, doing the half hour of reading that much easier when you're really inspired by your why. So that was a great point. Well, and let me ask you this, how would your day be different if you didn't have that morning? routine of working out. I, I don't know. I don't know what my mindset would be if I did not work out. I, I don't think I'd be able to like now that I've been doing it for, you know, 25, whatever years. Um, I, I don't know that I'd be able to live with myself. Like when I, so I used to travel a lot before the whole pandemic and, you know, uh, there'd be, there'd be days where I had to get up at oh dark 30 in order to, you know, get on a flight in order to get out to the West coast. And, you know, until I landed and, and, you know, had that workout at the hotel at 12 o'clock, like my, my head wasn't straight. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I, uh, I don't know. I don't know how it would be different. It, it wouldn't be a good me. And my, my wife knows that as well. She, does, she likes to make sure that I have my workout before she even interfaces with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These things become so critical in 
in our way of being and thinking and operating. And that's how, you know, it is such an ingrained habit that it's not, it's not something that you have to think about doing. It is part of who you are. Um, and, and that's what we, on this show, we try to get more of, of that, of how do I get habitually good at doing something that benefits me, not sabotages my success. Right. Yeah. Tell me about the 121, uh, 121% approach. You mentioned it earlier and I would like you to, to tell our, our listeners, what is that and how do you use it? How can someone else use it? How is, how is that? What is it and how does it? Yeah. Tori, it's a great question. And I think it's going to touch upon like some of the three key topics that you and I were just, you know, kind of exploring during this, this discussion, but um, I learned it from one of my coaches. He was a professional coach um, and it's around mindset, skills and knowledge and execution. And so I dubbed it into obviously for century 21, the 121% rule. So I say this, the first 50%, and I think this applies to anything. In fact, you know, I joke around, I have a, uh, my, my oldest daughter is, you know, on the JV tennis team. And I tell her, if you apply this to everything you do, whether you're trying out for the tennis team or you're, you know, you want to make uh, AP physics this year, or, uh, you know, you're trying to get a job uh, as an intern this summer, whatever you do, if you do the 121% rule, you're going to be successful in whatever it is. The number one and the first 50% of the 121% rule is what we talked about earlier. It's mindset. It's waking up ultimately ready to succeed, understanding what your why is, what motivates you, why you're fighting the fight every single day. It also includes hanging out with people who are supportive and positive and not getting mired in all the social media and all the negative news that you see on television. It's starting your day with gratitude, being thankful for what you have and who you are and moving on from there. I believe motion creates emotion. And so that's why I need to work out, run the treadmill, go on the Peloton, go swimming. That's my kind of like motivator. Um, and I think motivation is internal, right? So I think is Henry Ford who said it, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And so you got to wake up ultimately in the right frame of mind and super positive. That's the first 50%. The next 50% is your skills and knowledge. And, you know, you and I talked about it. It's like, how do you continue to better yourself, learn new things? You know, I've got a rack of books here. I don't read as much as I probably should, um, but there's so much education you can get out there, whether it be on a podcast like this, whether it be from a coach or a mentor, um, you know, nothing that, we really do in life, well, not in the real estate world anyway, is rocket science or brain surgery, right? There's, there's nothing you can't teach yourself about sales in order to have success, okay? And so how are you every day trying to get just a little bit better through your education, through your skills, and through your knowledge? That's the next 50%. And then the last 21% is what you said earlier. It's executing. It's actually going out there and every single day doing the actions that it takes to be successful. And that's why I say, you know, for us as leaders, we got to boil things down to activities that our people and our team can do in order to have success. And if you can do that and push your team every single day to get up and take those actions, you're ultimately going to have success. So it's mindset, skills and knowledge, and just good old fashioned getting to work. I love that. That brings me to something that I talk about a lot. And I don't actually think I've talked about it on the show though, 
which is, you know, the fact that we all, we are all one Google search way from a list of things we could do, right? And to improve as a salesperson, to learn how to be a first-time home buyer and prepare for that process, how to be the best, you know, leader, how to set daily habits or what we should do. We are one Google search away from finding all of those things. And if we were to implement one of them, we would be so much better off, but it's the implementation and the extra 21% that you're talking about that is the differentiator between someone who is an average salesperson and someone who can knock it out of the park or somebody who, you know, gets the AP physics and does kills it or doesn't, you know, and it's the willingness to show up and to do it. And something we haven't talked about is get uncomfortable because if, you know, sometimes again, you're not going to feel like it. So being willing to, to do it and get uncomfortable because you know that on the other side of that discomfort is going to be all the feelings that you're actually really wanting, which is pride, confidence, self-assurance, right? All of that stuff that you're really aiming for. Can I tell you a quick story? Do I have time for a two minute story? Yes. Okay. All right. So, so th this is great because it feeds into exactly what you just said. So, um, at the end of last year, uh, me and a handful of Century 21 brokers committed. We, we actually saw this guy speak at our event. His name is the Iron Cowboy. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was uh, he's, he has a Netflix special. You can check it out. The Iron Cowboy did 50 Ironman events in 50 days in 50 different states. It's like it, the physical challenge is beyond comprehension. Anyway, he talks about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in order to achieve more as a human being. It's, it's, it's an amazing story if you have a chance to see him, make sure you do it. So I'm training for this Ironman last year during COVID when I think that, you know, like, is this Ironman even going to happen? Um, it actually did happen. It happened in November in Panama City Beach. And I found out during the summer when I was feeling sorry for myself about all this time, energy, and effort that I was putting into this training about a young gentleman. His name is Chris Nickich. You can look him up. He was on NBC Sports. He was on uh, ESPN, New York Times. He's been all over the place. 21-year-old gentleman from Orlando, Florida, who has Down syndrome, who was going to be the first Down syndrome individual ever to compete in an Ironman event. And if you don't know, an Ironman event is a, a huge physical task. It takes hours and hours. And so anyway, long story short, I got a chance to meet Chris the week of the training, and he has such an energy and enthusiasm for life, COVID or no COVID, comes right up to you, gives you a big hug, and you could just feel, you know, this guy's intensity. So I got to meet him and his dad and his team and his coach. And they were saying to us, like, you know, and and, and just, Tori, so you understand, this is a kid who had, like, multiple surgeries to basically be alive when he was, he was young, couldn't feed himself until he was six, like, um, six years in seven different schools, like, struggles on a daily basis to do things that you and I take for granted. But they set out this goal for Chris to become an Ironman because he enjoyed the physical activity and a triathlon event. And so 
His dad told us that his motto was every single day to get 1% better. Just try to improve by 1% in your physical training, in your mindset, every single day, get 1% better. And you would build up to eventually competing and completing this Ironman. And so, you know, it came, as you can imagine, with a ton of obstacles, right? He fell off his bike at mile 80, put a huge gash in his legs. He's pulled over for a water break up bitten up his legs by ants. And so his dad said, you know, in the deep part of the marathon, he saw this like pain in his son's eyes and knew he wanted to quit. And he's had, as you can imagine, over his lifetime, many of these pep talk conversations he's had to have with his son. He said, look, Chris, we got a battle going on. And one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to let your pain win or you're going to let your dreams win. And his, he, he literally like cried to his dad. He says, dad, I am going to let my dreams win. And with 15 minutes left into the cutoff of the 17 hour limit, he finished the marathon, became the first down syndrome individual to ever compete and complete an Ironman. And I think that speaks so highly to the human spirit and what's possible. If you literally put your mindset to it and try to improve yourself by 1% every single day. And to your point about the mindset, putting in the actions and going out there and just getting it done, uh, you know, look that story up. You can find it almost anywhere. It's just completely amazing. And I think shows people that anything is possible. Yeah. Oh, that is so powerful. And to just wrap this all up to that point, you know, I have a tattoo right here on my shoulder that says this too shall pass. And it's just this reminder that like in the times where we're deep in pain or we're deeply not wanting to continue or our commitment is wavering, we're like, "Mm, maybe I'm not that, you know, that committed remembering that that will pass. And on the other side of that is going to be so much, uh, you know, so much fulfillment because every story that, that we hear, and you just told a beautiful one that inspires us is a story about overcoming adversity. There's not one story that we are inspired by that doesn't require someone coming up against something hard and challenging and choosing to walk through it or run through it. And, and, I just think that that's uh, a beautiful way kind of to wrap up this conversation. And um, I'm just curious if you have anything that you want people to know about um, any advice that you would leave people with in terms of being a good leader, buying their first house, you know, what, what is it that you want somebody to know if they, they to take away from this conversation? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think uh, as we started the conversation with earlier and, and to wrap up kind of like the story about Chris, like just set, set big goals for yourself. Don't, don't be afraid to dream. Don't be afraid to think anything's possible. Anything is possible, but you know, you got to do a lot of the things that you and I talked about. Um, I think your tattoo and that, that motto probably got a, like, not just the United States, uh, but the world through the last 12 months, right? This too shall pass. And, you know, hopefully all this pandemic is in the rear view and we get back to some normalcy, but uh, dream big, go after that, go after it and, and do all the actions and the hard work that it's going to take to get to your goal. Yeah. Cause as a CEO, would you say it's worth it? Oh, it's always worth it. It's always worth it, but it's only worth it. Tori, as you said earlier, if you remember your inspiration, you remember your why. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your, for your work and what you do and how you inspire people. I know that you've touched a lot of people listening to this show, so I appreciate you and we'll definitely have you back. Thanks Tori. Appreciate it. Thanks. 
You guys, if you love this show, do me a favor. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel called, leave a review. I would love to hear how the show is impacting you. But not only that, be a hero to somebody and share it with somebody in your life that needs to hear it. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? Ew, seriously. They squeeze the grease out of the wool and process it with chemicals, and then you eat it. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I got rid of products I didn't want anywhere near my body. I found that many multivitamins contain high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and even lacked some of the nutrients we actually needed. So what did I do? At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. Ritual's products are made traceable, meaning we share the science and sourcing for every single ingredient. For example, our vegan vitamin D3 comes from sustainably harvested lichen in Nottingham, England, not sheep. We trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. See for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.